0: Good morning, Orchardville Church, and happy Father's Day to all of the men out there this morning who are fathers uh, on behalf of uh, all of the church and on the children who are all here. Happy Father's Day. I'm so glad that you're here, so glad that you came out. So today is week five of CEO Faith. So we got today and one more Sunday. We're going to wrap this series up next Sunday on the last Sunday of June. Uh, but real quick, let's, let's take a, a brief tour through where we've already been. So let's remind ourselves of the questions that the two perspectives have that we're trying to make sure that we understand. All right, so what does every shareholder ask? Say it out loud. One more time. All right, so every shareholder comes to a situation, whether it's an investment Uh, something that they're engaging in, whatever it is, and they're always thinking, what am I gonna get out of this? And as long as it's something good, then I'm in. But if it's not so good, then I'm out. I'm pulling the plug, I'm bailing. On the other hand, a CEO mindset asks a very, very different question because it's not always good, but the question always remains the same. And what does every CEO ask? One more time. How can I make it better? And church, that is the mindset that God is calling on us to bring to everything that we engage with and especially our church and our faith. How can I make it better? So let's review a couple of the acronyms that we've used CEO to stand for. All right, so we started talking about that it would stand for constantly evaluating opportunities. See, God is a God of faith, right? And faith is the substance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not what? Not seen. So we don't always know where an opportunity will take us. But when we're trusting God and we're walking out our faith, then we don't have to know what the results are gonna be. We know the God of the results. And so we can step into opportunities instead of seeing them as risk. We say, how can I make something better for the cause of Christ. I'm not seeing a chance to fail. I'm seeing a chance to succeed for the cause of Christ. Then the next Sunday we talked about CO is cover every offense. See, anytime you have a mission and people gather together for a mission, you have all sorts of backgrounds. And when people are moving toward a mission, there's movement and movement causes friction. And because we're all flawed human beings, that means that you're going to have conflict. Every mission is going to encounter conflict. Now, a shareholder will often say, well, this is a little too turbulent for me. This is a little too uncomfortable for me. So they'll pull up stakes and they'll move on to find greener pastures. Well, I got news for you. It's always greener over the septic tank. Right? So I'm not sure you want to go to greener pastures, Because when the bottom falls out, it ain't going to be pretty. But a CEO says, okay, we've got some turbulence here and we've got some conflict, but my question is, how do I make this better? Because the mission is too important to get sidetracked. So how do I make it better? Last week, we talked about cooperating on every occasion, Because nothing gets done, no matter how great the mission, and no matter how many talents and skills you have, you will never get to the finish line. You will never accomplish the whole thing on your own. The whole Bible talks openly and frequently about the need for teamwork, about cooperating together. And so we talked about last week how it's important for a CEO mindset to invade the church and go, we're in this together. I may not know the person in the back row. I may not know the person in the balcony, but we're sharing the same mission and we're gonna find a way to make this work. So today, before we dive into the subject for this morning, let me give you a scenario to sort of set it up. All right, so here's the scenario. You are the CEO of a particular company in a particular industry. And it is the only company you have ever worked for. It is the only industry that you've ever known. You have no experience anywhere else. You have no experience in any other industry. It is one company and one industry alone. But you've done a really, really, really good job. And you've made a name for yourself in the marketplace. People respect you. And so one day, another company comes calling, they're in a completely different industry. You have have no experience whatsoever, no exposure whatsoever to either their industry or their company, but they've heard of your reputation and they come to you and they say, we believe you're the person to lead our company forward, even though you have no experience with them whatsoever. So you think about that and you decide, you know what, it's time for a change, and you decide that you're going to take them up on their offer, and you decide to switch from the only company and the only industry you've ever participated in and go to a company and an industry that you have no experience in at all, all right, so this is talk back time. Tell me, what are the first few things that you would do in that circumstance? You've accepted the job, you're going to do it, so what are the first few things you would do? Just start to holler them out. What's that? Napa. Napa. You like Napa. Okay. I know nothing about Napa, so I'd have to do a little work on that one. Research. Research Research on what? On the industry. And somebody else said the company. What else would you do? Find Find out what the team's got. All right. So the first three answers that pop up Or I want to find out more about the company. I want to find out more about the industry. And I want to find out more about the people who are working there. Do you realize that all three of those things have something in common? And that is knowledge. Out of all the things that you could possibly do, the first three ideas that popped up had to do with knowledge, with learning. Why? Well, there's a couple of old adages that most of you are familiar with and they're old adages that you're familiar with because they ring true. Check, uh, check this out. Knowledge is power, right? You've heard that? Raise your hand. Knowledge is power, all right? The other one is leaders are learners. Raise your hand if you heard that one, all right? You've heard those because they're true and it's all about learning and gaining and acquiring knowledge and that's why this morning our CEO topic is being a constant educational opportunist. A constant educational opportunist. I'm gonna share some quotes with you up on the screen. I'm gonna read them from my notes uh, so that I can see them better. Check these out. You're gonna love these. Albert Einstein said, wisdom is not a product of schooling, but of the lifelong attempt to acquire it. The lifelong attempt to acquire it. Socrates said the only true wisdom is in knowing that you know nothing. All right, so look at somebody beside you and say you're wiser than you thought. <laughs> you can take that any way you want to. <laughs> the next one says, get over the idea that only children should spend their time in study, be a student so long as you still have something to learn and this will mean all your life. And I love this quote. Eartha Kitt said, I am learning all the time. The tombstone will be my diploma. How cool is that? A few more. Uh, Harry S. Truman said, it's what you learn after you know it all. That counts. Amen. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln said, "I don't think much of a man who is not wiser today than he was yesterday." Mortimer Adler had this uh, this comment. He said that the purpose of learning is growth, and our minds, unlike our bodies, can continue growing as we continue to live. And then Henry Ford said, "Anyone who stops learning," is old, whether they're 20 or 80. See, it doesn't matter if you're 15, 20, 65, or 80. When you quit learning, you have officially become old. See, learning is incredibly important. And somewhere, somewhere in the back of our mind, we have this awareness, we have this sense that learning is part and parcel of our life in this world. It's part and parcel of, uh, of having a life that matters. We know we need to learn, but for most of us, once we get that high school diploma or that college diploma, how many of you, when you, when you walked out of your high school class or you walked out of your last college class, you said, done, and you meant it? <laughs> like, I am not reading another book. I'm not going to another class, man. I don't want to know. There's there's no room for anything else to get stuffed in this brain. So somewhere along the line, we decide to just basically stop learning. And I wondered about that. Why? Is Is it because we actually do think that we know it all? That's a problem if we do. Or is it because that we've reached a point in life that we think, you know... This is as good as my life is going to get, and I'm just I'm just settling for this. You ever felt like that? Like this is as good as it's going to get? So I might as well just be satisfied with where I am and what I'm doing, and and uh, you know learn how to be content with it. I think that those things really have a bearing on us and how we approach learning. And I will tell you this morning that God never ever intended for us to quit learning in fact i would tell you that god has intended for us to know a life that most of us have never even approached now i especially want the men in here this morning to hear this because i used to be in the army and and most men in the army couldn't care less about things of faith i mean and, and in the business world, when I was in the business world before I got into ministry, you know, we're pursuing all sorts of, of things that are not of God. And, and we've got this idea that we'll, we'll accomplish the life that we want through this means or that means or the other means. And God has a life that he really wants us to, to enjoy and know, but we've never approached it because we're approaching it through the wrong means. We're pursuing a life that we've dreamed of but we're going about it the wrong way. And so we, we, we think about it, we dream about it, about having this great life but we end up usually settling for something far, far less. So in, in regard to thinking about a CEO... If a CEO sees a company that is settling for far less, if a CEO sees a company that is not accomplishing anywhere near what it was potentially able to accomplish, so it's just kind of running on four out of eight cylinders, it is nowhere near its potential, what does a CEO do then? Does he quit? Does he say, well, this just isn't gonna work? Man, I wish I'd have never showed up in this place. Does, does he say, well, it is what it is and, and we'll just kind of keep doing what we're doing and maybe it'll get better? I would suggest to you when I think that way, I think of the definition of insanity and you know what that is, right? Doing the same thing over and over and over again and hoping for a different result. And church, let me tell you, I'm afraid that's how far too many of us as Christians live our Christian life. We wish that our Christian life would be something much better than we're experiencing, but you know what we do? We just keep doing the same thing we've been doing and we hope it gets better. Am I right or not? So when a company is not firing on all cylinders, when it's not achieving its its potential, does a CEO quit? Does he just hope it gets better on its own? I would tell you that a good CEO says, no, this is when I roll up my sleeves. This is when I go to work. This is when I get under the hood of this business and figure out how can I make it better? When it's not being what it ought to be, that's when he goes, how can I make it better? So I want to look at this this morning from the perspective of God's call on us as spiritual CEOs, what does that mean in regard to learning and education? So let me start with this question. What's the purpose of learning? Is it just, so we got nothing better to do, so I'm gonna learn something? I will tell you, never in my lifetime have I ever heard anybody say, well, I got nothing better to do, so I'm gonna learn something. (laughs) I have never heard that. It might've happened, but I have never heard it. I would tell you that we we learn because it allows us and it enables us to do something better. That's that's why we learn. And so let's talk about this as spiritual CEOs. And I want to start in the real world because our faith should always have an application in the real world. Should it not? If your faith doesn't translate to the real world, it's not much of a faith. And God wanted our faith to be a part of everything that we do, not just what we do in this building on Sunday morning. So how does does God's call on us as spiritual CEOs relate to us in learning in regard to the real world? Well, first of all, let me say that everyone in this building this morning is employed. And you're going, I'm not employed. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Whether you do what you do for a paycheck at the end of the week or not, you are employed. How many many women who are homemakers would say, yeah, I don't get a check, but I am definitely employed? (laughs) Amen? You students, you don't go to school for a paycheck, but there are demands and expectations of you, aren't there? Everybody in this building this morning, whether you get a paycheck at the end of the week or not, you are employed. So the question becomes, what are you going to do about your current employment? Are you going to say, well, it is what it is. I'm willing to settle for what it is. I hope that it would get better. But if it doesn't, it doesn't. If it does, it does. Or will you approach it as a spiritual CEO and go, how can I make it better? Because your employment matters. What you do matters. So, with that being said, um, let's look at a couple of verses from Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. I'll put these up on the screen for you. Solomon wrote both of these, and he said this. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver or gold. And he wrote that in Proverbs 22. In Ecclesiastes, he writes, a good name is better than precious ointment. So, here's, here's Solomon saying... That out of all the things that you could acquire, a good name is something that you should strive for as a follower of God, right? You read that? What he's saying is a good reputation and good character should be a hallmark of every person who raises the flag of Jesus Christ, Everybody who says there is one God and I serve him, I follow him, I belong to him, ought to be known as a person of high character and integrity. Amen? You go, well, how do you do that? How in the world do you earn and display character in the world and a good name in the world? Well, there are several ways, but I would tell you that one of the Most important ways is by doing the best you can at what you do. And remember I said everyone in here this morning is employed in some shape, form, or fashion. So that means that you earn a good name. You display character and integrity by doing what you do the very best that you possibly can. Now... Whether you want to agree with this or not, the world will judge us by that standard. You go know, well, I don't want the world to judge me. The Bible says don't judge. Well, the Bible's talking to us. The Bible is not addressing the world. The world is going to judge us. We can, we can gripe about it. We can complain about it. But the world will judge us. Well, how will they judge? They'll judge by the world's standards. And that means they're going to look at what you do and how you do it and decide whether you are a person of integrity and character by what you do what you do. If you're a homemaker, they're gonna look at how you maintain and care for your home. You may not like it, but that's the way it is. If you're a student, they are the teachers and other fellow students, they're gonna look at you and decide what kind of character and integrity you have by how well you do at school. Now, I'm not talking about making straight A's because God may not have wired you that way, B's or C's may be the best that you can do, but it's about striving to do the best. Are you making the effort that it takes to get the best that you can get? They'll know, your teachers will know, and you will be judged by that standard. Men, on Father's Day. Listen, we wanna make our name in the marketplace. I don't know hardly any man that I've ever met who doesn't want to make a name for himself in his place of work. Now, I know that men aren't the only place in the marketplace, but it's Father's Day, so I'm sort of speaking to you guys. When you clock in, when you get up and you go to work, you be the absolute best that you possibly can every day. Every day. I think that's why Paul wrote in Colossians chapter three, verse 23, he said this. Work hard and cheerfully at what you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. What a weird verse in the Bible. Have you ever thought about this? This is not about avoiding sin. Uh, This is not about how to get saved. This is not about giving your money. Like what in the world is this verse doing in the Bible? I mean, really, when you look at that at face value, it does look a little out of place in the Bible, doesn't it? Work hard. Work cheerfully at what you do. What has that got to do with the Bible and my Christian faith? I believe God inspired Paul to write this verse in the Bible because the world is going to judge us by how well we do what we do. And if we are sloppy or we are lazy or we are half-hearted and half-committed at what we do, then we will not only make a bad reflection on ourselves, we'll make a bad reflection on our God. Now, I have no research to prove this. This is, this is your pastor's personal opinion. But I believe this, is, this may be the number one reason why Christians struggle so hard with talking about things of faith at their place of work. Because we know in the back of our mind we have not earned a good name, a good reputation, and we, do not, or we are not known as somebody of character. And we have reflected poorly on our God and our faith because we make a half-hearted effort at what we do. And so when we start to try to talk about faith, we, we have no standing whatsoever with the person that we're trying to talk to Jesus about because they've seen how we work. Mm. That's not comfortable, is it? But it's true. Paul said, work hard and Cheerfully. Has he lost his mind? He hasn't worked where you work, has he? He has no idea what you put up with. I might remind you that Paul spent a lot of time in shipwrecks and prison. I think he has a leg to stand on in telling us work hard and cheerfully at whatever you do. Remember, he was singing in prison. Now, you may not have a great voice, but if you go to, to go to work on Monday and you start singing hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work I go, you might, might start to make a difference. Who knows? <laughs> See, God does not want half commitment to anything. God is not a half committed God. He is an all in God all the time. And he wants us to have the same kind of commitment. He doesn't want us to be anything less than the best that he created us to be. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, he said that we are his masterpiece. We're his workmanship created unto good works. God's got incredible things for you to do. He didn't make a sloppy person. He didn't make a half person. And he wants us to be all in in whatever we do. And if you do, that means that you're going to always be working to learn more so you can do better at what you do. And if you do that, you're going to be rewarded. Check out this verse in 1 Kings eleven twenty-eight. Now Jeroboam was a man of standing, and when Solomon saw how well the young man did his work, he put him in charge of the whole labor force of the house of Judah. Now, I'm not here to tell you this morning that if you go to work and you absolutely kill it, you do the best that you can every day, I'm not here to tell you you're going to be put in charge of your company, but I am telling you that by God's promise, you will be rewarded for it sooner or later. Always, young people, always, adults, always do the best that you can every day, wherever you are and whatever you're employed in whether it involves a paycheck or not. That's how our faith gets lived out in the real world. That's how how we become constant educational opportunists in the real world. We're learning how we can do better at what God has put in front of us, even in the real world. But how does that translate to our spiritual life? What's the purpose of learning when it comes to our spiritual life? Well, let me tell you a story to kind of help you Get an idea and wrap your arms around this. Quite a few years ago, uh, it was probably two thousand seven, two thousand eight. I don't remember exactly what year, uh, but Leslie and I and the boys and my mom and my stepdad, uh, we took a trip out to North Dakota. Cool place. If you've ever been there, you know. If you've never, you should probably take a trip. It's really, it's really awesome. So we drove out to North Dakota and we spent several days in a little, little, tiny town in the western part of North Dakota, almost on the Montana border, called Medora. Now. Medora only has about 1,000 people. It's out on the prairie, uh, but it is a beautiful place. And its claim to fame is that Teddy Roosevelt spent quite a few years of his life in Medora. And Teddy Roosevelt has said that if it were not for the time that he had in Medora, he probably would have never been president. So that was, that was his impression of Medora and the impact that Medora had on his life. Well, as a result... There's so many references to Teddy Roosevelt all over the place in Medora. You can't escape it. It's, it's everywhere. And in fact, Teddy Roosevelt National Park, that's where that is, is just outside of Medora. Well, while we were there, God blessed us to wind up having a conversation with the president of the Teddy Roosevelt Foundation. And uh, it was a pretty extensive conversation. And at the end of that conversation... Uh, he asked us if we were going to see this one-man play about Teddy Roosevelt. Well, the tickets were a little pricey, and it's like we, there were six of us, and we had two boys. and like, yeah, we're not going to pay for that. But he said, here's what I'll do. I really enjoyed this conversation. I'll let you get six tickets for the price of two. Of them. I'm like, sweet. I love those kind of deals. And, um, and so, so we, we said, yes, So we bought two tickets and and so all six of us got to go and there was this one man play about Teddy Roosevelt and I was fascinated. I was absolutely fascinated by the experience of this man's life and uh, and what happened uh, and how he wound up turning that uh, experience in Medora into being the president of the United States. Now, I don't know if this has ever happened to you. I bet it has. I became really intrigued with Teddy Roosevelt. And so you know what I started doing? I started reading up on Teddy Roosevelt. I even got a book or two about Teddy Roosevelt. And the more that I learned about him, the more I was intrigued, the more that I wanted to know. Has that ever happened to you? Raise your hand. Quite a few of you. You you are exposed to somebody or a way of thinking and you become intrigued. And you start, to, you start to read more. And the more you read, the more you want to read. The more you know, the more you want to know. And that is exactly, exactly what God wants from us in regard to our spiritual life and him. That as we start to get to know God, And we begin to hear about who he is and what he's done that we start to become intrigued. And we're so intrigued that we want to know more. We might even buy a book called the Bible. We might even read a book called the Bible. We might go into the church library and start to pick up some other books on the Christian faith because it's about this guy named Jesus. And the more that we know, the more that we want to know. That's exactly how God intends the process of learning to be carried out within the context of our spiritual life. And in in the, the church, we call that process of learning about who Jesus is and being more like him, we call that discipleship. You heard that term? That's what it is. Go ahead and put this slide up on the screen for me. That is the process of learning more about your faith in order to be more like him. And that's the process, and the person involved in the process is known as a disciple. And here's what a disciple is. That is someone who believes in and helps to spread the doctrine or the belief system of another. So a disciple starts to be exposed to somebody and a way of thinking and they become intrigued with it and they start to engage in more and more of it and they start to want to spread that. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, but you can be a disciple of anyone. Did you know that? Being a disciple is not just about being a follower of Jesus Christ. You can be a disciple of anyone or any any way of thinking. If you're a photographer, you may have heard of the guy named Ansel Adams. Ansel Adams has these beautiful black and white pictures of of, uh, landscapes. Have you seen those? People who are really into photography and love taking landscape pictures, they'll study Ansel Adams. They'll find out what kind of camera he had and how did he set up? How long was the exposure? How did he frame a picture? And they'll start to try to think like Ansel Adams and so they can set up like him so they can take pictures like Ansel Adams. There are people who are into artwork and there there are vast different numbers of of, uh, sort of approaches to artwork. One is impressionism. And there are people who want to know all about the Impressionist painters because they think that's the best way to paint and they start to read all about the Impressionist painters and so they can understand who they are and if they ever attempt to paint, they'll try to paint the exact same way. If if you're into sports, people can be a disciple of a coach. Now, my wife is from Northern Maine, bless her heart. She is a Patriots fan. I grew up in South Carolina. I'm an Atlanta Falcon fan, so a couple of years ago, it was pretty ugly. <laughs> I was feeling really good in the fourth quarter, and then we blew it. <laughs> but the coach of the New England Patriots, Bill Belichick, is without a doubt one of the best coaches in the professional football history, or if you like college, they're, uh Alabama. Bear Bryant, and now the coach at Alabama is, uh, man, I'm having a brain cramp. What's his name? Nick Saban. People want to know, how did Bear Bryant coach? How does Nick Saban coach? How does Bill Belichick coach? And they'll start to copy their playbook. They'll start to figure out how do, you, how do you bring people, the team together? How do you, you assign them different assignments and coach through the week? And how do you game plan? That is called discipleship. Because you are beginning to be intrigued by a person and a way of thinking, and you want to think like they think, you want to act like they act, you want to do what they do, and you want to spread that to someone else. That is exactly what God calls us to in the spiritual world within discipleship. And the Bible is really, really clear, is that the most important person that we can ever be a disciple of is Jesus Christ, and the most important belief system that we can be a disciple of is Christianity. Now, I'm not telling you you shouldn't invest any time in any of those other things, But I'm telling you, on the authority of the word of God, the most important one that you can ever put your time and effort into is being a disciple and learning more about Jesus and Christianity. Here's what Jesus said in the gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, 35. He said, heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will remain forever. Now, let me just put that in slightly different language for you. Everything that we care so deeply about, everything that we're so passionate about now, everything that we give our time to, and folks, let's just be honest, we give our time to a lot of things other than church and Jesus, do we not? Everything that we're so passionate about, everything we're giving our time to, Jesus said, one day it's all gonna go poof. It's all going to disappear. It won't even be here, but you know what will? Jesus said, My word. I'll be here, and my word will be here. And so he's saying the thing that we ought to invest our most time in knowing, the thing that we ought to invest our most time in being a disciple of, the thing that we ought to invest the most of our time in spreading is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't say, Don't do anything else. But he did make it clear, all the rest of this stuff is going to disappear. All the rest of it is going to go away, but not my stuff. So not only do we need to comprehend that, but we got to let everybody around us know that as well. It's important. They need to know. All this stuff that you're chasing, it's going to go away. What will last are the things of Christ. And I'm here to share that with you. But can we just be honest? Most of us have enough of a struggle In having that kind of commitment on our own private self. So, how in the world do we ever transfer that to someone else? Look in your Bible to James chapter 4, verse 8. It's the one verse I really want to kind of drive into your your mind this morning as we bring this in for a landing. James chapter 4, and verse 8. Now, you may remember just a couple of weeks ago, we talked about covering every offense that at the very beginning of this chapter, James said that where does all this struggle come from? Where does all the conflict come from? From you wanting something you don't have, right? You remember that? He says you want what you don't have. And so you get all ticked off at each other and you get frustrated with with different situations because you're wanting something that you don't have. And that is the pursuit of the world. The world says, hey, get this, get that, get the other thing. You always gotta grab something more, get something more, get something more. That's the way of the world, is it not? But James defines discipleship In contrast to the way of the world, which is wanting something you don't have, here's what he says in verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. See, the world says pursue all this other stuff, learn more about this other stuff so you can have some other stuff. And James says that's where all the conflict and the trials and the difficulty and the, the frustration. That's where it all comes from. But I'm here to tell you that if you pursue the things of God, that all changes. And discipleship clearly and simply defined in its simplest terms, James says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. And then the, the worldly pursuits will look far less important than they do right now. And the things of God will become far more important than they are now. And I would say this morning and kind of wrapping this up, every one of us here this morning need to recommit ourselves to the process of discipleship in Jesus Christ. I don't care where you are in that journey right now, we need to recommit ourselves To that, And if you're not sure how to do that, let me give you four really quick things here. Number one is commit a personal time each day with Christ. Doesn't that sound easy? Doesn't that sound easy? And do you know that it is a very small percentage of of believers who actually make that work? It's scary, isn't it? Just commit a personal time each day with Christ. If you're not doing that, let me give you a couple of ideas about how to do it. This is probably my favorite. Start with Proverbs. Read a proverb a day based on the chapter of the day of the month. There's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. So just read a chapter based on the day of the month. Days of 17th, if you were reading Proverbs, you'd be reading Proverbs 17. It's an easy read. You can read it in 10 or 15 minutes, and it is loaded, loaded with wisdom. And can we all admit we need a little more wisdom? It's loaded with wisdom, so just read one chapter a day. Or if Proverbs doesn't do it for you, read Matthew. Matthew has 28 chapters. It's not quite a month full, but it'll get you started. So read Matthew, or Acts. Acts has 28 chapters. Read the book of Acts. Again, it's not quite a month full, but that'll cover up most of a month. And do you know that if you do anything for about 30 days every day, you've created a habit? So it's not about... 5 years from now it's about right now. Can I just get 30 days done? Can I nail 30 days down and build this incredibly important habit of personal time every day with Christ? If those don't work for you, how about 1st and 2nd Corinthians? Together that's 29 chapters. Do one of those. Pick one of those and get started. Personal time each day with Christ. It is a must. If we're going to learn more about Christ. Number two, come to Sunday school and Wednesday night services. Is that easy? No. For most of us, that's sort of an impediment in our week. We're running far too much, going way too fast to too many places. And for many of you, the church is not exactly right around the corner. I get it. But if we're going to be a constant educational opportunist, if we're going to learn more about this God that we say we love and we follow, do we not need to take advantage of the opportunities that will teach us more about who he is? Do we? So come on Sunday morning. Come on Wednesday night. And I will tell you that Wednesday night especially... if you follow me on Facebook, uh, the last couple weeks that we've gone home, like my, my gas gauge has like been down below the letter E on the way back to Peoria uh, when I've pulled in for gas. Uh, do you know that if you keep driving eventually, it will actually just stop? I'm a man of faith. has kept us going (laughs) but if you don't put gas in the car sooner or later it's just going to stop do you know that the things of God his word the fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ that is the spiritual fuel that we all need to keep going that's why we need to get together That's why you need to be here on Wednesday night. That's why you need to be here on Sunday morning for Sunday school because it's a place where you can start to build community, build fellowship, get to really know each other and most of all, get to know this God who saved us and makes all things new. Number three, participate in or start a group where you discuss things of faith. It's scary. Maybe you go to work So you work somewhere, and there's a handful of people that get together, and they just have kind of this little Bible study or something, and it's like, eh, I got other things to do, and so you just sort of go do your own thing, and you skip it. Or maybe where you work, nobody ever, ever, ever talks about things of God. Can I tell you something to think about that's really scary, but maybe God is waiting on you to take the first step? Maybe you post on the bulletin board, hey, One day a week on Wednesday afternoon, I'm going to do lunch in the cafeteria. and I'm going to just do a little Bible study. Anybody want to join me, come join me. Who knows what will happen? Who knows what will happen? But this is the essence of discipleship. And the last one is serve. You know why? Because you learn when you serve. Those of you who are serving, can I get an amen on that? You learn when you serve. You learn things you didn't know. You learn that you had skills and and interests you didn't even know you had when you serve. This is what we call discipleship. And if we call the name of Jesus Christ as our Savior, then we by all means need to be taking advantage of every discipleship opportunity that God presents us. We need to be CEOs in learning in the real world because God calls us to do the best that we can, work hard and cheerfully at whatever we do so that we make a good name for ourselves, not only for ourselves, but for the God that we proclaim. And we need to carry that over to our spiritual life where we're constantly getting more education and more knowledge about this God who loved us and saved us. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come For our invitation this morning, I don't know what your situation is this morning. I I don't know if you feel like you're walking really, really close and deep with the Lord right now. I don't know if you're feeling like you're so far away that you can't get there. But here's what I know. We are never done learning and we are never so far from God that we can't pick up and start fresh. Are you serving? Are you engaged in learning opportunities through Sunday school or Wednesday night? Are you expressing your faith as a disciple of Jesus Christ to the rest of the world? Are you in his word every day? It doesn't have to be a marathon event. It's just taste and see that the Lord is good. Come back to this every day. Be learning all the time. God has called us to a life that most of us have dreamed about. We've we've never gotten anywhere near. But he says, if you'll draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. And the life that he's got for you is far beyond what most of you have even imagined. You might be here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ. The process process of discipleship has never even started for you. But it can start today. What an incredible day to start that on Father's Day. Because God the Father sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, so that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. God the Father wants to be your father this morning. So whether you need him as your savior for the first time or whether you just need to re-engage in discipleship and re-engage in being the best you can as an example in your daily endeavors, this invitation is for you. Father, pray that you'll allow people to not be afraid of what anyone else may think, what anyone else may say, but, Lord, they'll only have one concern. Lord, how do I make this thing better between me and you? In Jesus' name, amen. But everyone stand. And as the worship team sings, then you come and do business with the Lord, whatever he's calling you and asking you to do. before they sing the next verse I'm just going to say we're not going to belabor this this morning so don't miss out I know it's Father's Day but you're going to be hanging out with each other immediately after the service but there is one father that is ready to meet with you right now and if you need to take a step of discipleship you need a recommitment do it now more